Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The great resort, resortment continues. Uh, some businesses are just sitting back and taking it. And as you heard from that uh, L.A. construction owner, hoping that uh, politicians like Karen Bass and Gavin Newsom and Joe Biden will all of a sudden decide that they're interested in the physical safety of their constituents. And uh, that would include their business owners. Other businesses are um, leaving from places where the political class isn't so inclined and going to places where the political, uh, the politicians in charge have demonstrated they are so inclined. Earlier this year, uh, we told you that uh, Smith & Wesson was leaving Massachusetts for Tennessee. Well, now the oldest gun manufacturer in the country, Remington, Rem Arms, is leaving the plant where it started in Ilion, New York, in 1816. Oh, my gosh. And uh, heading down to consolidate its global operations in Georgia, where it always has already has a facility. Listen to uh, Ken Darcy's uh, exp- explanation for Remington's announcement. The iconic Remington Firearms brand was founded in 1816. And today, Remington Firearms, operating as Rem Arms, operates as one of the United States' largest domestic producers of shotguns and rifles. Yesterday, we announced that Ram Arms, America's oldest firearms brand, will consolidate its firearms operations in LaGrange, Georgia. This will align all firearms manufacturing with our planned global headquarters and world-class R&D facility in Georgia a state that supports and welcomes the firearms industry. We are deeply saddened by the closing of the historic facility in Ilion. We have a dedicated workforce at the Ilion facility, but maintaining and operating those very old buildings is cost prohibitive, and New York State's legislative environment remains a major concern for our industry. In the coming months, we expect to be working with our Ilion employees and their representatives on transition issues. Thank you for your support and dedication. Uh, cost of business, uh, maintaining an old building and so on and so forth, is the first thing you mentioned, but the politicians was the second thing. So uh, without that political environment, mm, I think you can uh, reasonably conclude that Rem Arms wouldn't be on the move. But it is. Because you can't make it make sense to be in places like New York State or Illinois State anymore, can you? 
sticking on the matter of public safety, because when we're talking about uh, the Second Amendment, that's uh, a big part of what we're discussing, people's right to protect themselves, the individual right. The uh, right that Kyle Rittenhouse exercised in Kenosha some two years ago after that smaller community, no one's immune, was laid siege to by rioters and looters in the wake of race hustling by the media, by the politicians in Wisconsin over the Jacob Blake police-involved shooting. And 72% of the people that were arrested in those 48 hours were from out of state. Um, Here's uh, Pierce Morgan, you know, really trying to by the way, Rittenhouse has a memoir out now telling his story again in written form and more detailed form than he did, including on our show uh, a while back after he was acquitted. He's such a nice young man. I um, met him my, at Mar Largo, and he was—he's just very polite. And um, I mean, I, I can't wait to read the book. Remember, he was only seventeen at the time. He's twenty now, and uh, you know, Pierce tries to. Really crawl inside his head and heart. Uh, You know, what did it feel like to kill two people and wound another? Tries three times because he wants to make Kyle Rittenhouse come off as unempathetic. And this is this exchange between Morgan and Rittenhouse is so uh, illustrative of how the media characterizes the predators in this country versus how they characterize law enforcement, number one, or number two, uh, individuals who provide for their own protection in the moment, law-abiding individuals who otherwise provide, otherwise law-abiding who provide for their protection in the moment. The characterization of the predators versus the law-abiding and the law enforcers. You killed two people and you wounded a third. How do you feel about that? Well, Pierce, they attacked me. They left me with no choice. I have nightmares every night of being attacked and being ambushed and them trying to steal my gun and pointing guns in my face. It's not an easy thing to do, but I did what I had to do to stay alive, and if I didn't, I would be dead. Yeah, listen, you were acquitted, and many in America believe that you have the absolute right to defend yourself. Uh, I'm just curious, on a human level, you know, you're very young even now. What are you, 20 years old now? Yes, sir. And, and you've killed two human beings oh my God. and That's wounded a third. I just wonder how that feels. Walk away. I don't think that's an appropriate question to ask how it feels. It's not an easy thing to do. It's something I live with every single day. It's nightmares I have. It's something that I have to deal with. I have to deal with the PTSD and the trauma from having to do that. Right. I mean, but it seems to me your emotions are more about you <gasps> and your trauma because your life was being threatened and, and that side of it, rather than the question I'm asking, which is simply on a human level, how do you feel about being so young and yet having on the record for the rest of your life now that you took the lives of two people, regardless of the circumstances. And and like I just said, it's something I deal with every day. I deal with the PTSD and the trauma and the nightmares. It's not easy to deal with it. 
regardless of the circumstances? Um, well, no, the, the circumstances turn out to be mission critical to the understanding, don't they? <laughs> There's a difference between murdering two people and killing two people defending your own life. But, but, but hey, just set aside the circumstances. Are you a young, dirty hairy or not? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Not done trying to make a monster out of Rittenhouse. Your book, um, presumably you're, you're going to make money from this book. Do you feel comfortable making money oh from, from this, which ultimately is a, a, a tragic story? Um, you know, I, again, I repeat, you were acquitted. There's no reason you can't do a book. But do you feel comfortable making a lot of money out of essentially what in the end was an incident that cost the lives of other humans? Well, I'm not writing the book to make money. I'm writing the book to tell the story of what happened. I'm telling, trying to change the narrative that media keeps putting out there that I'm some type of white supremacist, racist person when that's just not true. I'm a 20-year-old kid who was put in a situation to where I was forced to defend myself, and I'm writing to put that into a book. I wrote to put the, I wrote a story and put that in a book so I can share that with everybody so they can understand what I went through how my childhood was growing up and the difficulties I deal with today. And Not done. Oh, please. There's, I mean, why can't these people just get up, take off the lapel mic, and walk away? Uh, yeah, well, sure. I mean, Rittenhouse could have done that, but then we wouldn't have these fun back and forths. And, and you know, and I think he actually uh, afforded himself quite well, considering. How do you feel that you became a hero to many on the far right, kind of made you their poster boy? Well, Pierce, I'm not a hero. I did what I had to do to, to defend myself. There are countless Americans every day that defend themselves. And it's not a heroic thing to do. It doesn't make you a villain, but it doesn't make you a hero. It's doing the right thing to to stay alive. If I didn't if I didn't defend myself, I wouldn't be here talking today. Um, so you know this uh, idea that Rittenhouse is um, you know gun crazed cowboy right. who's been indoctrinated by the NRA to uh, exact vigilante justice wherever he sees fit, not exactly fits with the reality of Kyle Rittenhouse as you heard by the way he also said at the outset of the interview if he had to do it all over again he wouldn't have gone to Kenosha he thought he was doing the right thing to help people and he's actually on video helping people rendering aid to people and then what befell him befell him and he reacted in the moment within his constitutional right to protect himself right and the video of that Rosenbaum guy remember that Joseph Rosenbaum convicted sex offender would Mm -hmm. date women to get to their boys on the playground in Tucson, Arizona, that scumbag. He, you, there's video of him reaching for his gun, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Um, he had and, to defend himself or he would be dead. And uh, uh, Pierce Morgan was a little light on the facts. Um, he uh, thought it was illegal for a 17-year-old to uh, carry a uh, sport rifle in Wisconsin. It's not. It's not. Um, but uh, He didn't know but, that? He didn't, but then he has uh, a you know, larger metaphysical question for Rittenhouse. I've learned Americans want to handle their own gun culture the way they want to handle it. I respect that. But let me ask you, do you think it's right 
that 17-year-olds in America, in Wisconsin, should be able to carry around semi-automatic rifles like an AR-15? Our founding fathers were very intentional when they wrote the Constitution. They didn't put an age limit on how old you had to be to um, exercise the Second Amendment. But they did say it would be part of a well-regulated militia. They also didn't put an age in it, and we have the right to bear arms. It's our right as Americans to to possess these arms, to carry these ar- these firearms, and to use them to protect ourselves. Right, Pierce. Uh, the state of Wisconsin did put an age limit on it, and um, Kyle Rittenhouse was compliant with that uh, age requirement, number one. Number two, the well-regulated militia. I mean, sir, this is what I- I'm talking about. We have had discussions about this in our that have been central to our politics with so many mass shootings uh, and so many uh, quite, you know, uh, controversial instances of self-defense that everyone who is paying even passing attention, who has even a minor interest in living in a free society and a safe one, should know these arguments and the responses, at least at a surface skimming level. And yet you have Pierce Morgan who has a platform where millions of people watch this guy. I don't know why, other than maybe his time as a judge on, on uh, Britain's Got Talent and whatnot, America's Got Talent. That, that was better. And he gives you the well-regulated militia line. Hey, Pierce, um, and, you know, it would be nice if Rittenhouse had said that, but I'm, he's not coming on as a constitutional scholar. Right. Um, Pierce, it would be nice if you'd update your understanding since you're trying to, you know, get your head around uh, this uh, culture in America. Be nice if you'd update your understanding of Supreme Court precedent. The Supreme Court, in cases that are now more than a decade old, uh, the Second Amendment is an individual right. Individual right. That's the law of the land, peers. Uh, in addition, the uh, right to protect yourself, the court held, the Supreme Court, is not limited to your domicile. Thus, right to carry countrywide. It'd be nice if you just had a basic understanding, even from as a layman, everybody can understand this, uh, before you went off half-cocked trying to demonize Kyle Rittenhouse. But but that's just too much to ask. So frustrating. Jay in New Lenox. I just wanted to comment um, how ridiculous Pierce Morgan's question is about at 20 years old, uh, how it felt to, to kill two people and wound a third. Uh, nobody's asking that question of uh, all our military that uh, bravely went over at 18 years old, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and 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 did their duty. I, I think we have plenty of uh, scientific um, information about what these people went through and 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 how difficult that situation is. And uh, I, I just think it's an absolutely ridiculous question from Pierce Morgan. What a joke! It is. Thanks for the call, Jay. I mean, and the talk diff- about the, self-serving. Please. The difference is with combat veterans, we, we do that from a, a, a therapeutic right. perspective. Uh, Pierce Morgan is clearly doing it from an accusatory one. Yeah, That's he wants that difference. I gotcha moment to go viral. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 
I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So um, one of the things that we should understand, and I should have been thinking about when the news broke over the uh, early summer of 2020 about the uh, George Floyd killing, police-involved killing in Minneapolis, is that if you are an institution or a person in this country that the establishment state-run media does not like, then you cannot believe a single word that the state-run media reports about that institution or that person. Not a single word. That's where we're at in America in in the 21st century. Look at all the tapes. And... um, It changed my mind. I, uh, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I failed our listeners... In the Chauvin case, in the George Floyd killing. And um, it was hard to get to the truth in the moment. You were you were relying on what was being presented, but there was not enough skepticism it, from conservative media across the board. Because, you know, the hue and cry was so loud and the mob was so big. Well, it was and also it during a time, but it was during a time too when people needed something like to get out of the house and like that's it. Now we're gonna do this. We're gonna make sure well, Chauvin well, what, goes what, to what, jail. Like what protesting. Does to, what does that have to do with us? Well, nothing. I'm talking about what we did. Okay. What conservative media did. I'm not talking about what the the uh, uh, vulgarians who are triggered by the race hustle du jour and go out and loot and 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 engage in violence. I'm talking about the civilized people. What we fail to do. And this started to come into focus a few weeks back when we talked about the release of transcripts from a deposition involving a former Hennepin County prosecutor who is suing for uh, uh, harassment, discrimination, uh, the the Hennepin County State's Attorney, Assistant State's Attorney, civil suit. And we have from the transcript the uh, opinion 
the first opinion from the coroner in Hennepin County, which was that George Floyd did not die from asphyxiation. That was the opinion from the coroner in the first autopsy 12 hours after George Floyd died. And, and then we have the coroner saying to this state's attorney who had filed a civil suit, what do you do when the truth doesn't fit with a narrative that's already established and 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 accepted? This is a possible career ender. And then you had the Floyd family bring in Ben Crump, who brought in a Baden, Michael Baden, mm-hmm. you know, the sort yep. of celebrity coroner. And he and they concluded it was asphyxiation, and so Derek Chauvin and these other officers were criminally culpable. There's a documentary that was released just a few weeks ago called "The Fall of Minneapolis," uh, that was done principally by a uh, Emmy Award-winning reporter who lives in Minneapolis named Liz Collin. She's the interviewer and the narrator of this hour-and-a-half-long documentary, which I'll tweet out. You can see on, uh, you can see for free on Rumble. You should watch it. Come to your own conclusions. And I'm not going to say more about it as to the question of did Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd? Did those other officers essentially serve as accomplices to the murder of George Floyd? But there's things that unless you... I had uh, copies of all of the body cam footage from those officers, which I hadn't seen until I watched this documentary. And unless you followed the trial very closely to understand what evidence was allowed in and what evidence was not, to understand fully the interaction between uh, police dispatch when the emergency call was made when the call was made for paramedics by police, which was 30 seconds after George Floyd was on the ground, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And the miscommunication between fire and paramedics, you you wouldn't know these, you would, the, the um, level of uh, drugs in George Floyd's system, the extent of the uh, coronary disease from which George Floyd suffered. Right. The fact that and this is too. this is the body yeah, that he recently had COVID. The body cam shows us too that he was saying, "I can't breathe." His famous incantation, infamous incantation, "I can't breathe," when he was still standing up, when he was sitting down in the police cruiser. Yeah, he was because I, I I watched it because my son had to write a report on it, and I said, "Well, we're going to watch thirty two. I have thirty two minutes here. We're going to start from the beginning till the end until the last nine minutes." And it is so different than everybody knows. And I wish that Americans would, they would, this you have to watch this video. You have to see what transpired. He had many, several panic attacks because he was high on fentanyl and he had methamphetamines in his system too. And they tested him 12 hours after he died. I mean, so, that's, that's a large amount of, of drugs in his system. It's and, all, it's yeah. all. And it was hot that de- day. And it's, it's, it's all detailed in the right. autopsy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to say more to the uh, overriding question, is Derek Chauvin guilty of murder? Because I, I, I'll i cede my time to Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter. Uh, I've talked about these guys before. 
We've had him on the show. We've been talking about him. I've known Glenn Lowry for years. We, um, we've had them both on the show. Glenn Lowry is, uh, they're both black men and academics. Glenn Lowry is an econ professor at Brown. John McWhorter is a linguistics professor at Columbia. Glenn Lowry grew up on the south side of Chicago in a uh, neighborhood that was redlined. 75 years old. He's been through some stuff in America. John McWhorter is a little younger. 58, but he's been through some stuff, too, as he's documented in uh, op-eds and books that he's written. Listen to their reaction as they discuss the fall of Minneapolis, this documentary. Don't don't listen to the honky. Listen to Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter. Uh, you're going to be hard-pressed to find two more intelligent men and... Two more intelligent men that have the lived experience in America as black men and the political courage to discuss this openly and honestly. First, Lowry said, give serious pause because the film raises real questions about whether or not he got a fair trial in Minneapolis. It raises real questions about whether or not the narrative that comes out of the so-called murder. I said so-called. Oh, my God. <laughs> How dare I? How dare I <laughs> even begin to think critically about whether or not it's appropriate to say what happened to George Floyd was murder? Uh, and yet you're moved, uh, if you watch this film, I think, with an open head mind, you're moved to raise exactly that kind of question. So there we are. John McWhorter is vastly distorted that these things happen to white people too i always thought as as un pc and unwoke as i supposedly am i thought that the general narrative about black people and the cops was true and i written about it now for 25 years and said it's the last thing standing it's the chimney that didn't burn down when the rest of the house did etc and then uh, you taught me that that needs a rethinking on this one in 2020 we talked about how Every one of these cases of a white cop killing a black man turns out to not be what we thought. So, you know, it wasn't that George Zimmerman tapped Trayvon Martin on the shoulder. Who, excuse me, was not a cop. He was not a cop. He was a right. citizen. But go ahead. Yeah, that's an important point. Didn't tap him on the shoulder and they had an argument and George Zimmerman shot him in the face. That's not what happened. George Zimmerman shot him with Trayvon Martin on top of him, seeming like he might be about to kill him, which is just different. Mike Brown did not die with his hands up. He was trying to grab the gun of Darren Wilson and was lunging at him over and over again. It's always like that. But I always thought that with the George Floyd case, you couldn't argue with the basic facts. It seemed that this white cop had his knee on this man's neck, which seems so barbaric, but that's what the photo that you always see looks like and that he couldn't breathe because the knee was on his neck and that he choked and died of asphyxiation that seemed to be the fact with various people connected to the minneapolis police force saying that they were unfamiliar with this move this business of putting the knee on the neck that that's not part of their training and so the issue was why did that happen to George Floyd? Has something like that ever happened to a white person? In this case, it was Tony Timpa, who was killed in a very similar way, not you know too long before George Floyd. But I always thought, yes, I've been happy to see Derek Chauvin going to jail. I have written about him as a murderer many, many times. And then look, look at this. Once again, 
we've been lied to. And I, and the sad thing, Glenn, is that nobody, you know, left of center is going to admit that any of this could be valid. Truth will not matter on this one. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Truth will not matter, right, because the constituents of the identitarian party, which includes some Republicans, by the way, they're not mature enough for it. They're just not mature enough for it. They will accept the beautiful lies. Uh, and, you know, what John McCorder said, I, I, we talked about Derek Chauvin as a murderer, mm-hmm. too. We talked about it right from the get-go. looked obvious. Uh, well, you had... I always knew there was something more, but I never. And then when I saw that video, I, well, no, I just I didn't want to go against the grain because I knew it looked like a racist. Or then, you you know, I mean, there's sometimes not two, but sometimes three sides to a story. And that you, if I would just wish everybody would have seen the whole tape. And I don't know in his trial if they played the whole tape. We didn't know what we did. Those didn't, two had a history the, together, too. They knew each they other. They did not play. They the, worked the, together at one, one point in time at a bar. Uh, uh, separate that out. The a body cam video that uh, shows a the, the Derek Chauvin on George Floyd, kneeing George Floyd. Mm-hmm. It When you look at it from the body cam video of one of the other officers, uh, it seems like it's on his shoulder blade more than his neck, which is actually consistent with the actual picture and detailed instructions in the Minneapolis Police Training Manual, which was presented in this documentary. So it's not it. So we didn't know what we didn't know in our defense, but uh, that doesn't excuse the lack of skepticism. Are we sure we're getting everything? starting from the premise that we understand that there's no way that there will be any consideration for any uh, what will be perceived as impertinent questions. We'll be saying, are we sure we're getting everything? Do we have everybody's body cam video? Do we have all the eyewitness accounts? Uh, Can we reconcile the competing autopsies and the conclusions from those autopsies? McWhorter, John McWhorter, goes through three key points from his perspective. There are three things. One, if he's saying it in that clear, strong voice, it would appear that he could breathe, okay? So that was always a little strange. But maybe there's a point where you can say, I can't breathe, but you're getting dangerously little air. But still, that stands. Two, this is what's important. In the body cam footage, which we've never seen, George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe when he was standing up straight and just being coaxed to get into the car. What they were trying to do was take him somewhere to get treatment because the the drugs were severely addling his mind and he wouldn't get in the car. And he starts saying, breathing air, standing up. I can't breathe. I can't breathe when nobody is anywhere near his neck or anything else. George Floyd was extremely high on fentanyl and meth to an extent that could have killed him sitting in a chair. If you're on fentanyl in particular, you get something called wooden chest where you can't breathe if you've got that much in you. That's how high he was. Now, the issue is not the morality of him being high, but he was saying, I can't breathe long before anybody had him on the ground. And then the third thing is this. 
What a lot of people are going to say is look at the agony of his face in the standard photo. It looks like he, he, he can't breathe. He's in agony. That grimace that we see is something that does move you. But if you look at the body cam footage we've never seen, George Floyd had that exact same look on his face when the cops just approached his car and said, get out. He was really messed up that night. I'm not moralizing. Just because I'm wearing a cardigan doesn't mean that I don't understand the joy of drugs and liquor. But <laughs> he was majorly <laughs> fucked up. And it, was a day, as, it was during the day. It was not at night, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm making it at night. But it's, it's in daylight. And he, the cops come up and he's just, oh, God, oh, don't shoot me. And nobody has a gun. You know, I, I just lost my mother. His mother died years ago. Don't, you know, don't, don't. They weren't threatening him at all. He was really, really messed up, and he had that same look on his face. So I don't think, unless this is faked, you know, here we are in the age of AI. I mean, we have to allow that just maybe. But unless that body cam footage is faked, Derek Chauvin didn't kill that man. I never thought I'd be saying that. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. John McWhorter, unless this is faked, Derek Chauvin didn't kill that man. By the way, Derek Chauvin, I mean, excuse me, John McWhorter, um, even despite what you're hearing from him and how uh, intelligent and sensible he is, I mean, he's still a Democrat, by the way. Mm-hmm. Glenn in Orlando, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. I remember all the corporate CEOs that came out and denounced us and denounced the police and said that we have to do better on race relations, and none of them come back and say, I apologize, we made an error. They rushed the judgment, just like they rushed the judgment for the voting rights in, Atlanta, in Georgia. They make a statement based on emotion, and then they don't come back once the facts come out and apologize for the mistake. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Uh, yeah, there's Brit- no contrition. I mean, there's no, you know, wait. On a you know second thought, this this might have happened. Nothing. Bridget in Lagrange. Hey, good morning, you guys. Um, Dan, I got to give you total props for having the courage to come out and um, set the record straight. At the time, um, my in-laws live in Upper Upper Wisconsin, and my father-in-law, who's retired, was able to collect up all of the factual information. I and we as a family understood it completely differently than um, that that Derek Chauvin did not murder um, George Floyd. So I give you props. Um, I also uh, love John McCorder and um, Glenn Lowry. You have referenced them, and I have watched those videos over and over again. They are they are fantastic. But the information was out there. And it was not easily found, but it was out there. And I give this woman documentary um, person props for putting it all together. Thanks for the call, Bridget. Well, it wasn't all out there. The body cam footage wasn't out there. And it wasn't uh, uh, allowed to be admitted by the defense, which is another question, certainly in terms of an appeal. And uh, interviews of uh, King and Chauvin from prison, which Liz Cullen, the documentarian, did. That is also new. Yeah, there's there's more on this. I want to get back to Lowry uh, and McCorder on the implications of uh, this film, 
what it says about everything that's transpired and where America has gone and is going if everything in that film checks out. We'll do that uh, a little bit later. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560, The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Continuing our discussion of the documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, which was reviewed by Glenn Lowry and John McCorder on... um, the uh, Glenn Lowry Show, The Glenn Show, which is sponsored by the Manhattan Institute, and he and McWhorter, two longtime academics, and if you're not familiar with them, you should be, uh, both uh, black gentlemen, their review of this Fall of Minneapolis documentary. Which, by the way, you can see on YouTube. if You just type it in. and Yeah, and better yet, see on Rumble mm-hmm. for free. Oh, yeah. um, the... Uh, this, the stunning conclusion, they can't believe, as we were talking about before the news, they can't believe they're coming to after watching the documentary, which is, as you heard John McWhorter say, Derek Chauvin didn't kill George Floyd. I mean, didn't murder him. Kill, you know, didn't kill him. I no. mean, really, the autopsy essentially, uh, the, the actual autopsy combined with the body cam footage showing that Chauvin was... Chauvin's knee would more look like it was on his shoulder, shoulder blade, rather than on his neck. And that follows protocol of the Minneapolis Police Department. But how do you take this back? How do you rein it in? How do you get people to, to know well, the truth? Well, you can't. And that's, at least that's the conclusion McCorder draws. This will not be accepted by anybody, even uh, a scintilla left of center, this will not be accepted. The truth is not acceptable here. Again, if everything in this documentary by Liz Collin, this uh, journalist up in Minnesota, checks out. Uh, Glenn Lowry, the econ professor from Brown, who hosts the show, on the implications of what is detailed in the documentary. You know, true in effect, a narrative that is so in uh, uh, coordination with a sentiment that's widely held in the public, that people want to believe that it's true because it provides additional evidence to what they've been telling you all along, 
is the case about this country and about the lives of black people in this country becomes unassailable. It, Print the it, legend. it becomes in effect true. It, it, it is, you know, a virtual truth. Poetic. That was his phrase, a poetic truth. I, I just love that phrase. Uh, and this is back to this question of whether or not you can actually say that Chauvin didn't kill uh, George Floyd, because I mean, think what that entails. That means all that rioting, looting and burning, uh, all, all of that uh, civil disorder that has had and will continue to have political ramifications uh, echoing down across the years. What was that for? Um, or what about imprisoning those police officers? I mean, for crying out loud, Derek Chauvin is locked away for a lifetime. And, and the other cops also got jail time, too. One of them is black. That's another <laughs> one thing. The, the one who's K-E-U-N-G, and so you think he's Vietnamese or something? He's black. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and a veteran uh, police officer who worked in the academy training other police officers said that he was probably the best recruit that he had seen in a quarter century of service, uh, just as an aside. But but they were and are being punished unjustly, if indeed you conclude, as you have just done, that uh, Floyd wasn't murdered out there. What about that? Um what about fueling a false narrative? What, what about giving further credence to a way of thinking about yourself within your country that is untrue to the reality of your condition? The, the cost here is inestimable. And that doesn't even include, although he sort of referenced it uh, by implication, the accelerant that this incident was to defund the police and the result of that, which was the spike in crime in major cities, not seen in to to levels not seen in 30 years. And don't forget guys last week, Derek Chauvin was stabbed 22 times in that medium security prison in Tucson by a former gang leader and a one time FBI informant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's alive, but he was, I mean, he had needed medical attention right away. It was, it was iffy there for a bit. <sighs> Len Lowry goes on to talk about the uh, moral panic that ensued and the deification of George Floyd. I mean, uh, whatever mistakes we made uh, at the outset in discussing this, certainly we didn't buy into the lionization of George Floyd as some important, seminal, historical figure, all this, he was a father and a this and a that. He had five children with three different women and some of his kids he never, ever, ever saw. And that little girl who lived in Houston while he was in Minneapolis, Barbara Streisand gave her her entire Disney stock portfolio because she felt bad for her. Ask that little girl how many times she saw her dead. Glenn Lowry. The excesses of a woke moral panic around racial issues that converted a miscreant. He had a rap sheet as long as your arm. You look at that video of his arrest. It, it's, it's hard to watch, actually. This is not a heroic figure. This is a flaky motherfucker. Well, everybody's going to say that's irrelevant, despite the fact that it's true. Well, 
Well, no, no. It's not irrelevant to whether or not he should be buried in a gold casket pulled by a horse-drawn caisson. That is true. It's not irrelevant to whether or not he should go down in the annals of American history as a heroic figure with squares named after him and children being invited to view him and what happened to him in iconic terms as relevant to their own lives. And there's an opera about him. Oh, my. Of course there is. Uh, it's not irrelevant to the $27 million the city of Minneapolis paid out to the Floyd family. And he's, he is celebrated here. If you drive out of University of Iowa, there's a house that has a huge three-story picture of George Floyd on it. It makes me sick every time I drive by it. Don't forget he put a gun to a woman's belly when she was pregnant. His, I mean, do you, so this documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, I mean, it's what politicians and the media don't want you to see. I'm a quarter with a closing thought, then we'll take your calls. And time and time again, you find that the story that you're told about the latest episode is not true. I had no idea that this was yet another one of them. But here it is, and it's going to be the saddest thing. It makes you want to just fly away sometimes. (laughs) That this evidence is clear, but it will not be accepted. People will just, if, and, but, what about? The idea will have to be that Derek Chauvin cut off that man's air supply and killed him despite the fact that, quite simply, he did not. Or some people will say, well, okay, maybe it wasn't quite that, but he agitated him so much he shouldn't have pushed him down on the ground, and that's what killed him. When, frankly, he could have dropped dead standing up, based on what you see in the body cam footage and what his medical condition was like. It will not be allowed that Derek Chauvin got a bad rap. It will not be allowed. That's a. It not only will it not be accepted by anybody, a scintilla left of center. It will not be allowed. It will not be allowed as a conversation piece. It will be not be allowed as a discussion segment on the Sunday talkies or any newscast for that matter. It will not be allowed. That's such an important word that McWhorter uses. He's a linguistics professor. He's using it purposefully. Craig in uh, Nolansville, Tennessee. Dan, did you ever really believe that he murdered uh, Floyd? Yeah, I did. I called him. A, I, I convicted a, murderer. I did believe it. I, I just discussed at the top of the 6 o'clock hour from the footage. It looked yeah. like knee on neck and that he asphyxiated him, and, and that was that. But it came out that the knee wasn't on the neck, and it came out in the trial that, that he was following procedure to the T. I mean, I listened to the news on this station and it, called it, Sean and said, I think they're going to let him off. Yeah, it, it didn't come out because thanks for the call, Craig, but it didn't come out. It, those were assertions that were made in the trial, but the defense was not allowed to present. It was never admitted to, into evidence. The police training manual that is profiled in the documentary, the body cam footage from the other police officer from behind Chauvin that shows where his knee was actually positioned on George Floyd's back or shoulder area at, consistent with training as compared to on his neck and that was essentially reflected in the first iteration of the autopsy from the hennepin county coroner that's a the 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 documentary goes through it that uh, judge cahill did not allow that body cam footage that police manual to be entered into evidence that's so wrong 
I remember what started this all. He was, you know, at the store and used a fake bill. And then the clerk called 911 and said he's awfully drunk and he's not in control of himself. So something else, though, too, on this. The question that, I mean, now I, I want to make sure I'm erring on the sky of skepticism across the board since we didn't do a good enough job at the outset here when it happened. Um, all the police officers that are interviewed in this documentary, if you haven't seen it, you'll appreciate what I'm saying when you do. The Fall of Minneapolis, the documentary. And Derek Chauvin's mom, who presents the training manual to the documentarian in the part of the interview that she does. Where were they in the moment? Why didn't they say something in the moment? Many of them had already left the police officers, had already left the Minneapolis police force, as some 300 out of 860 have over the last three years. They didn't. So the tears that are flowing about the siege on the third district and Minneapolis deciding to abandon that to the mob and mob justice on the streets. And uh, as you heard, Glenn Lowry referenced the training officer who said that the one officer uh, King was one of the best recruits he ever had in 25 years of training officers. Why is this all coming out in a documentary where Chauvin's mom, where were they demanding an audience in the moment Ken in Gray's Lake you're on Chicago's morning answer good morning uh, retired two years ago after 35 years in law enforcement uh, my retirement was hastened by uh, this incident uh, what a lot of people fail to remember is Minneapolis PD is the same department where a Somali recruit shot and killed a white woman that called the police to report possible sexual assault. Oh, right. yeah. uh, that officer has subsequently had his conviction overturned and has been released, and that got zero publicity. And those of us in law enforcement, Minneapolis, unfortunately, has one of the poorest-led and poorest-trained big-city police departments in the world. The training officer that was in charge of departmental training when the Somali officer killed the complainant uh, was the chief of police during the George Floyd. Arredondo, right, who said that there was no such training to uh, that maximum restraint technique to use the knee on the shoulder on the ground to restrain somebody. That's that's what he's testified to. That's what he said publicly, Arredondo. And that is a lie. And a knee on various parts of the body is still doctrine in 90 percent of the police departments. I mean, we're, we're, you're cautioned to make sure you avoid the neck, make sure you don't cut off an airway. But a knee on the shoulder, which is what I saw in the video, when it happened, is still standard for restraining a combative or someone in what they term excited delirium. Thanks for the call, Ken. Appreciate it. Roger DeKalb. Hey, love your guy's show. Listen every morning. But uh, this has driven me crazy for years because um, Tucker Carlson put all this out from people's cell phone cameras that put them out on the Internet from security videos, the Keith Ellison absolutely getting in and making that coroner overturn his opinion. I mean, these are just crimes and what we had to go through for this. And the main takeaway is 
I'm sorry, but media and journalists are lazy because that information was out there, and they were either lazy or complicit. They're I mean, complicit. But, They're going along to get along. Yeah, even conservative media, because I would never see any of that stuff on any of the Fox shows. And But I know people who still think the Chicago Tribune is a conservative newspaper. So it's like people just people <laughs> just don't look at an alternative source on anything anymore, and they just believe what's out there. It's sad. Thanks for the call, Roger. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. of the morning, Dan and Amy. So it uh, came down yesterday that uh, Hunter Biden uh, is being charged with uh, multiple counts of tax evasion, finally. Charged with three tax felonies, six misdemeanors, carry maximum of 17 years in prison if convicted. I mean, uh, sort of anticlimactic given everything we know, uh, but uh, the backstory is important. And uh, we've been able to obtain... Uh, exclusively a transcript of Joe Biden, the big guy, Mr. 10 percent, the president, speaking with his baby boy, Hunter, after this indictment was announced. Um, Amy will play the role of Hunter Biden. Am I I sober or am I stoned? (laughs) uh, You know, I'll give you artistic license. And then um, I will play Joe Biden and also... There's a little bit of Jill in there, too. So I will also show my range. Oh, I wanted a, to be Jill. A, as a thespian by okay. playing Jill, too. But anyway, um, all right. And scene. Ah, Dad, 99 out of 100 times we can. We can beat something like this. I don't like the odds. We can go back a long way. I know. I know, Corn Pop. I mean, Hunter. I tried to close the door. Hunter. Couldn't get it shut. Ah, jeez, Dad. What do you want me to do? Hunter, my baby boy, take the pressure off yourself. Uh, here's the thing. They tell you, yeah, yeah, sure, you have the you have the key to the cell, go ahead. But you won't be able to open it without singing, yeah? You're a singer, Hunter. Uh, give, give, give me a chance and I'll, I'll, I'll show you. How quiet I can be. It's out of my hands, Hunter. Do the right thing, will you? Make it easy for yourself. Joe, honey, lunch. And your family. Yeah? And scene. I thought you hammed it up a little bit too much. but Uh, No, but I've seen Hunter being interviewed a lot. When he's with, you know, people, when he invites them into his California home, you know, that somebody's renting for $12,000 a month. Or no, I'm sorry, 24000 And he sometimes he gets very animated. He's like, yeah. Well, that was a cold table read. So you that have was. to give us some latitude on that. Of course, um, we borrowed that a little bit, um, a lot of bit, actually. <laughs> All of it? it. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a great movie, but I, I thought that was a great scene. And I think this is, to some extent, what's actually going on here. You ever see the movie City Hall with Danny Aiello? 
and, and John Cusack and Pacino and Cusack. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really, Danny Aiello made the as Frank Anselmo, the borough president, corrupt borough president. He made the the movie to the extent it was watchable. Um, and that's when you know he is talking to the mob boss who he's on the take from, and uh, you know we tried to close the door, but we couldn't get it shut. Isn't that what's happening here with the legalized mobsters in D.C.? We tried to close the door, Hunter, but we couldn't get it shut. So take the pressure off yourself. Now, of course, in the film, Danny Aiello pulls off the side of the road and takes the pressure off himself. Um, And I'm not suggesting that that's what's going to happen here or that I want it to happen here in case anybody wants to get hysterical about uh, the metaphor. It's just the idea that we tried to close the door with that uh, phony baloney plea deal that was rejected by the judge, but we couldn't get it shut. So, you know, now you're going to have to face a little bit more of the music than we wanted you to face. But you got to do it to take pressure off uh, the family. Isn't that what you see? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro. Text and keep up appearances that we have a justice system where the president's son is, and by extension, the big guy is not above the law. You're going to have to take one for the old man here. We got too much on the line. We tried to get the door shut. We couldn't get it closed. George in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Dan, you are the Alec Guinness of our time. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) I I praise indeed. I appreciate that. Um, You know, and again, that's just, you know, that just was was a cold read. I haven't even and I'm, I'm, you know, more of a Daniel Day-Lewis method actor, but I haven't even done any sort of getting into the the mind this frightening place of the big guy. And still, I get those kind of reviews, Amy. Pretty I feel impressive. drunk even playing Hunter. Um, I got a text message, Dan. Amy, great role playing Hunter. Thank you. Keep Signed, Amy's message. mom. No, no. Louise is not listening. This uh-huh. is a lady from uh, Crete. Oh, just okay. texted in. So thank right. you. Well, very good. We appreciate the very generous but reviews. Did you our... read some of this? I mean, this is. Uh... Yeah. It's like a bad porno film. I mean, he paid tens of thousands. He what forty three thousand once to have a call girl stay with him for two nights. He would go from Airbnb in Malibu back to this show with Chateau Mont Hotel, where his bill there was forty three thousand dollars. I mean, this guy was living the life. Well, I mean, again, part of uh, Hunter's mistake <laughs> is documenting all of this in his. Uh, memoir uh-huh. where he talks about uh, being in California in 18 and he surrounded himself with an entourage of thieves, junkies, petty dealers, over the hill strippers, con artists and assorted hangers on. Well, he could have done that inside the Beltway. Right, he didn't need to go to DC and then yeah. he would fly his girlfriend from DC to LA. And... No, he didn't need to go to California. He could right. have stayed just exactly. he could have just stayed in DC and hung out with uh, with Biden, with uh, the old man and his friends. And this is what they, they drink up the entire mini bar, call room service for filet mignon and a bottle of Dom Perignon. One of the women even ordered an additional filet for her purse-sized dog. It was one of the binders they went on. This is just lovely. I mean, what a what a reputable human being. And you, you give him access to millions of dollars when you know he's addicted to crack and other substances, and he's a sex addict too? Shame on the Bidens. But he wanted that access. 
He wanted that power. Mike and Hammond, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, this is my call, Dan. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't hear anybody talk about the, the, the timing of this indictment with uh, the subpoena next week in front of Congress. I think uh, there's more at play than anybody's realizing. Let's, let's not give Weiss too much credit on this. For this oh, no. He could have got it a lot more. Oh, yeah. There's no credit being given to, to David Weiss on this. Uh, no, no, because he's been in the pocket of the Department of Justice blob from the outset. Uh, the That uh, universal plea bargain he tried to ram past the judge i mean that was that's a that's an affront to justice the uh what's been documented by these irs whistleblowers about the performance of both weiss garland the um, fbi the performance and the prevarications of those parties is an affront no there's no credit to david weiss here there's no there's there's, there's no justice in this this is damn it this is this is lawfare going in the other direction. We're got lawfare. All right, he's got to face. Oh, seventeen years. He's he's facing three felonies of seventeen years. Uh, all right, you're gonna have to go away for 120 days. We're gonna button this up right here. They're moving for an impeachment inquiry. We have to uh, have a scalp to show them that. Uh, there is no one above the law. Not my son. Not Donald Trump. So they can present false equivalences. Uh, They can try to uh, buffalo people into believing the Department of Justice is not politicized. It goes where the facts lead. So does the FBI. And uh, Hunter pleads out and shuts up. He tried to pass off like his daughter's uh, New York apartment, $12,000 in rent payments as travel trans and other. He, he was so fraudulent and so sloppy. Mike in Melrose Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, <laughs> good morning, guys. Dan, I, I really have a hard time buying your performance. There was no babbling. There was no in- unintelligible words. It just Bring it. It, it didn't didn't play for me. Yeah, All thanks right. for the call. Well, your Jill Biden was horrible. Well, You should be I like, mean, Frank, honey, lunch. Who's Frank? I mean, I'm sorry, not Frank. Uh Hunter, Joe, honey, lunch. Yeah, well, I don't have that upper register that you have. Um, but you know, I, I was limited by the script a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, and and frankly, the uh, I don't know, remember the actor's name who played Paul Zapati in uh, City Hall, but he was, you know, sort of the uh, gentlemanly mobster. You know, it's very even keel. I mean, because you said, you know, we tried to close the door. Now, now do the right thing. Take the pressure off your family, off yourself, right? <laughs> Yeah, this indictment, Hunter's Biden's horse had horse. <laughs> he would have party, and he invites strippers, and then they'd bring their girlfriends, who then brought their boyfriends, and then I mean, it's, this is disgusting. Paul and Carrie. Hey, you know what really strikes me is, you know, we as humans, when we tend to do something for ourselves or for our family, like go out to a nice restaurant or splurge on a vacation, we have the wherewithal to justify our actions because maybe we've done something notable. What has this guy done to even justify, even in his warped mind, this type of lifestyle? I I just don't, I can't, I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. Thanks for the call, Paul. Well, I mean, gosh, I, 
I wonder where he gets this uh, attitude of entitlement. Right. I listened to this one. <laughs> where would that come from? So he made a Venmo payment for $1,500 to an exotic dancer at a strip club. And then he described the payment as uh, a transaction for artwork. <laughs> right. That she was... didn't, she, the exotic dancer did not sell him any artwork. Uh. Wow. Yeah, there was blow art involved in there somewhere, I'm hey sure. Hey, ho! But, uh, anyway. Oh, my. This is just. I digress. Well, he's a, he's a noted. Perverted. He's a noted blow artist. Oh, I know. I mean, that. Please. In so many ways. If that, I, thought, I used to think that was a double entendre. Maybe it's a triple entendre. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, the uh, great economist and author Thomas Sowell, is wont to say that the least intelligent form of life is a committee. Uh, I would posit that the uh, second least intelligent form of life, and it's close, is an Ivy League university president. That's based on the performance we saw from Claudine Gay at Harvard and Liz McGill Penn the other day before a House committee. You know, throw in the president at MIT, too, even though it's not Ivy League. They're all embarrassing. Uh, Some points that Tyler Cohen, speaking of economics, econ professor George Mason made, in uh, his recent Bloomberg column, I think are salient. Some of which we covered in response to uh, response to the testimony earlier in the week, but bears some repeating. Cohen makes three points. The entire testimony is ruled by lawyers for fear their universities might be sued and their need to placate internal interest groups. This is a major problem, in addition to their unwillingness to condemn various forms of rhetoric for violating their codes of conduct. It's ruled by HR department, and it gets dark very fast. Yeah. Number two, they're all in a defensive crouch. None of them are good on TV. None of them are good in front of Congress. They have ended up disgracing their universities in front of massive audiences, perhaps the largest they'll ever have, simply for the end goal of maintaining a kind of illusory maximum defensibility for their positions within their universities. At that, they are too skilled. Yeah, the American people weren't their audience. Something to remember. At least that's what they thought. Not one came close to admit number three. Not one came close to admitting how hypocritical private university policies are on free speech. You can call for intifada, but cannot express, uh, say, various opinions about trans individuals. Not de facto. Whether you think they should or not, none of these universities comes close to enforcing "quote unquote" First Amendment standards for speech, even off-campus speech for their faculty, students, and affiliates. That's a key point. We noted that Harvard ranked last in the country. Uh, on the fire rankings for uh, free speech on campus. And uh, Penn wasn't uh, that much uh, in front of Harvard in terms of those rankings. And so the fallout continues. A uh, bigwig, Ross Stevens, who's the founder of a financial services company called Stone Ridge, informed Penn via letter that he would cancel $100 million of Stone Ridge shares held by the university if it didn't replace President Liz McGill. Good. Put a $100 bounty on her head professionally. 
hundred million dollar. Yeah, that's great. Um, but nothing it, yet. I mean, I'm still waiting for something to come on the transom here to let me know that she's resigned. Well, interestingly, board members met virtually to discuss board members at Penn, mm-hmm. and the report was to the Wall Street Journal from somebody in attendance. Attendees were overwhelmingly supportive of McGill. Well, sure, the board that installed her is the board that's going to stick with her until and unless it becomes untenable. And I don't know that $100 million from uh, one donor for a school that, you know, like these other Ivy Leagues, has a, an endowment, uh, you know, somewhere between 35 and $45 billion is ultimately going to matter much. But we'll see. For uh, more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by Jonathan Tobin. He is editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, what's your commentary on, I guess, on the university presidents and then also um, the uh, mega donors, the Bill Ackmans, the Ken Griffins, the Ross Stevenses, the, the Huntsman family? I mean, it's it's sort of nice, but I just wonder what kind of staying power they have. It, it feels a little bit like chasing headlines and trying to land on a safe space uh within larger society outside of campus for some of these mega donors, but maybe I'm being too ungenerous. No, I think you're right on target. Um, as much as I applaud any gestures to um, uh, cut off these universities, any pressure to be put on them, and the only way that they understand, which is obviously fundraising, um, but it goes much deeper than this. And if you are um, just using this as leverage, in some way, um, it's not going to really make much of a difference because the problems are much greater than just the fact that three bureaucrats, and that's what these people actually are yeah. in the end, uh, reading, uh, you know, basically from their lawyers' instructions, put on this appalling show in Congress where they couldn't give a simple yes or no whether advocacy for genocide, you know, goes against their uh, <coughs> their college's policies. Um, the problem is much deeper because it, their, their refusal to make that very simple declaration, common sense, is rooted in their, um, the way their institutions have been conquered and completely taken over by the whole DEI bureaucracy, the whole DEI woke catechism mindset, um, which declares Israel and the Jews to be possessors of white privilege falsely, because Israel is not a white country, half of Israeli Jews are actually of Middle East or North African origin. The, the, the conflict in, between Israel and the Palestinians is not one about race. Jews and Arabs are kind of the same race. The problem is that these universities are institutionally anti-Semitic now because they've all adopted these toxic ideologies which grant a permission slip for anti-Semitism. So, of course, they have problems. You know, it's very simple. Anybody on those campuses or any other elite campus, whether they have a a team in the Ivy League or not, um, if you were to advocate for the Ku Klux Klan or advocate for the lynching of African-Americans or Hispanics, something, you know, it's like mind-boggling, something so terrible, straight out of our, you know, the darkest side of American history. We don't. We, we know there wouldn't be you. You in an eye blink, you'd be expelled. 
you know, if you're a, a faculty member, you'd be thrown off campus. Right. Um, even if you had, even if you had tenure, I mean, in fact, at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, law professor Amy Wax has yeah. been basically thrown out. I've interviewed her. It's a great story, uh, worth going into by itself. How she has sort of, um, you know, issued some very hetero, uh, you know, non-orthodox opinions about the way these universities are running about all these woke ideologies, and she she can't teach anymore. Um, she's involved in a long lawsuit to sort of save her job, but they're trying to legally get rid of her for basically saying things that you know most ordinary Americans believe. But they won't throw out somebody who advocates for the genocide of Jews, who advocates for the destruction of the only Jewish state and calls for violence to do it in all of the usual ways that people do it, because those causes are granted legitimacy by the ideologies that rule these universities, because that's what the woke mindset does. It see it wrongly uh, creates a moral equivalence between the war on the one Jewish state on the planet and the struggle for civil rights in the United States, which is crazy. But it's what they actually believe. Well, why do you, you think get rid of that? Well, why, why do you think Hamas is winning the PR war? I mean, Nikki Haley the other day said, if you watch TikTok for a half hour, there's a seventy percent, seventeen percent chance that you're going to become anti-Semitic. No, that's not what she said. She said you increase your anti-Semitism by 17% for every 30 30 minutes you watch TikTok on a daily basis, which is just a bizarre, weird statement. I mean, I I take her point about uh, the poison on social media, but I mean, let's stay a little bit grounded here and not just make stuff up, which clearly she did. Yeah, that's a made-up statistic. Um, Obviously, um, hate is uh, very prevalent. All kinds of hate is very prevalent on social media. Always has been. But, and and certainly TikTok uh, with its Chinese Communist Party algorithm is a particular problem. But let's understand here that what we're witnessing in this country goes much deeper than that. Um, It, you know, it's, it's about these ideologies which sort of put us towards in that particular direction which enable anything. And the point is, if these institutions can't change, and I think it's arguable that most of them, most of them can't, um, you know, uh, certainly, and most of them clearly don't want to. Um, you know, they, they are appealing to a specific kind of donor, a specific kind of mindset. And then we have to cut them off from federal funds, and parents have to somehow wean themselves from trying to send their kids to these and look for alternatives. You know, when institutions fail us, we have to get rid of those institutions. And our elite universities are failing this country. They're failing the American people. And then those elite universities send these uh, 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 identitarian adult uh, best and brightest, allegedly, to uh, uh, many sectors. Junior people in the, you know, in the Biden administration protesting. uh, But let let me make one point that I think is important. Could you ask me? Um, you know, is Hamas winning the war, you know, the information war? I think if you just read the New York Times, the Washington Post, maybe the Chicago Tribune, watch CNN and MSNBC, and maybe if you're on TikTok a lot, it can seem that way. Mm-hmm. But I do not believe that the vast majority of the American people buy into this. I, I, the, the majority of American people don't believe in woke ideology, and they still support Israel, and they understand who was the victim on October 7th, and that Israel has a right to defend itself and to get rid of 
the terrorists, and they don't believe that those terrorists should be allowed to get away with mass murder. I have confidence in the American people. Sometimes it's shaken, but I still have confidence in that fact. And if anybody were to run for president, if Joe Biden is to, you know, winds up changing, uh, you know, his policies, you know, as a result of the civil war within his party and the huge movement within, you know, the, the democratic establishment of the left, which dominates it and sort of betrays Israel, he's not, that, that's not a winning platform to, to be reelected for president. And I think he knows that as well, much as I... as much as he regrets the loss of his left wing support. Um, you know, he, that's I don't believe the American people want that. And I think Joe Biden, to the extent that he understands anything these days, he has to know that. Well, um, I, I agree with you about the confidence in Americans, generally speaking, um, 25 plus 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. It's more of a 50 50 proposition, as we know from public opinion surveys. But that's where I was going. The Biden administration and uh, some of these Ivy League grads that go into, you know, careers in um, in, in politics and government so they, they can someday be Joe Biden. Um, and this sort of internal struggle that's going on, which is why you get the middling rhetoric from the uh, public facing flax for the administration like animatronic Anthony Blinken. Well, how do you think that is actually playing out? It, uh, the, the rhetoric certainly is not inspired. And one wonders if uh, the uh, uh, the policies will flow from there, including sort of the we want to extend the ceasefire kind of uh, rhetoric you're getting from uh, the 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 uh, spokeshumans for Biden. Yeah, I, I think this is this is an administration at war with itself. Um, it doesn't know what to say or do. Biden and Blinken, I think, you know, and I have to get you know, as much as I think their policies, especially in their appeasement of Iran, help set in motion the events that led to October 7th. They bear some responsibility there. But since then, you know, their their basic rhetoric has been good. They haven't cut off Israel. They have, to a large extent, supported it. But at the same time, they are responding to this you know, this revolt within their own party. The left wing of the Democratic Party is against Israel. And um, that they have tremendous influence. And, and, you know, listen, Biden has governed from the left. You know, he was supposed to be a centrist. He has governed from the left in every way since he was elected. Right. Um, including He's a company man. Yeah, DEI, um, you know, creating DEI plans for every government agency and departments and creating woke commissars within every agency and department. But, um, you know, so so he's been trying to sort of jawbone the Israelis into uh, pulling back. But, you know, as much as, um, you know, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is politically weak right now, he bears, you know, he is, you know, he's he's on borrowed time because, you know, he was the guy on whose watch this uh, defense catastrophe happened. Um, I think he knows he can't he has to be able to say no to Biden. And he's made it clear to them that he's going to continue to say no. And they, you know, Biden and Blinken are weak people. And uh, to the extent that Israel shows strength and tells the American uh, government that it's going to defend its people, it's going to wipe out Hamas or continue with its campaign to to do that. Um, and I don't think Biden wants to blow up with Israel. He, you know, he, he he doesn't want to blow up with Israel. He doesn't want to blow up with his left wing. So he, you know, he muddles yeah. along, talking <laughs> yeah. out of both sides of his mouth. And, and as far as the Israelis are concerned, if that's the worst that they're going to get out of Washington, they can live with it. But their worry is that at some point the left 
it will put such pressure on Biden that he will flip on them, and that will be a problem. But in the end, Israel will still have to say no to him. If, they're gonna, if Biden's position flips to being you have to let Hamas get away with mass murder, Israel's going to say no, hard as that's going to be for them. Yeah, well, uh, be wary of the company man. He goes where the zeitgeist in his party is. That's what he's done for fifty years. That's not going to change. Exactly. He doesn't want to blow up. He doesn't want to blow up with Iran either. And that's exactly how you get a blow up, um, as you know. Exactly. Uh, Jonathan Tobin, editor in chief, Jewish News Syndicate. Jonathan, thank you as always. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah. And he joined us on our Turnkey Dot Pro Answer Line. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. Dan and Amy, uh, we do have a, a new entrant into the race for president that has the potential to really shake things up. Uh, potentially depose uh, the big guy. Is it the rent's too high, man? Is he back? No. Or rent no, too it, damn high. That's what it's saying. It's a uh, well-known perennial candidate uh, who uh, has run in uh, several races in New York City. Grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, he is... Um, got very specific plans he's got an 800 billion dollar plan to regenerate love in this country oh and that's what we i want to introduce you to Paperboy love prince a democrat candidate for president of the united states we need to spread love all across the world in a real way and take that very very seriously if you had war I mean, some people, when they just hear shooting outside, they get afraid. And it's not a war. They're not coming for you. You, you get afraid. If there's an actual war on your soil, on your home, you, it's the most terrifying thing. But love, inspiration. I mean, if we actually tried that, if we put $800 billion into spreading love to folks, into supporting citizens in a way that starts to regenerate that love. Because right now, we're creating more terrorists. The more war, the more energy, the more hate, we're creating more terrorists, more people that are bloodthirsty for death and negativity. Why can't we create more people that want more love, that want more unity, that want more passion, that want to see us come together and create the future that we know is possible when we're living in our highest selves as people? I mean, $800 billion to regenerate love in this country seems like a bargain at twice the price. Not a big ask. I thought you were going to say Pat Paulson. Remember him? Uh, yeah, he's not with us anymore. I know. He died. That doesn't I... mean he can't run, I suppose. But I, um, I met him in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, back in the day and sat in and cheered for him and held a sign. Pat Paulson for president. I'd like to see a uh, hour-long debate, Newsom-DeSantis style, hour-and-a-half-long debate, Newsom-DeSantis style, uh-huh. between Paperboy Love Prince and Marianne Williamson. It would be psychedelic. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, fresh off her uh, declaration of war against uh, the prospect of a sandwich monopoly. Big sandwich is coming for your sub choices. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, beating the drums of war over the prospect of a private equity firm 
that already owns a controlling stake in McAllister's and Jimmy John's also purchasing a controlling stake in Subway, then it would be a big sandwich monopoly. (laughs) The horrors of it all. How could Uh, we go on living like this? Yeah, there's no competition when it comes to fast food and sub sandwiches. Right. Sure. These are the things that keep uh, Elizabeth Warren on the warpath. Well, uh, Krakajewia has another target. And that is cryptocurrencies. Uh-oh. And she's enlisted um, some powerful friends like J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, who said this at a hearing this week. I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. You pointed out the only true use case for it is criminals, drug traffickers, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance. And that is a use case uh, because it is somewhat anonymous, not fully, and because you can move money instantaneously and because it doesn't go through as you mentioned, all these systems have been built up over many years. Know your customers, sanctions, OFAC. It's, they can get bypass all of that. I, if I was the government, I'd close it down. Okay. Okay. Hooray. All right. Yes. So no concern about big banks colluding with big government, but concern about big sandwich. Yeah, that's about uh, the size of it in, uh, in the federal government these days. Uh, For more on this, uh, as well as the November jobs report and other matters related to uh, economic conditions on the ground for Main Street Americans, uh, Jim Perry, founder, CIO of Perry International Capital Partners, joins us. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan. Amy, thank you very much. A bigger threat to uh, our free enterprise system, Big Sandwich or Big Banks? Neither. I'd say big government. You know, it's just it's ridiculous. The whole narrative is driving me crazy. Well, to to get a reaction, I mean, I know what your reaction is to the concern about a sandwich monopoly, but uh, Jamie Dimon on cryptocurrencies. I think he's right. Um, He's right that we should shut it down. No, I think he's right that he doesn't understand it because it's not in the (laughs) banker's mindset to, to understand it. They, they've got a monopoly and they're going to lose it. So um, he should say that because every banker should say that because it it, it uh, is a threat to their monopoly. Yeah, well, and, and that just drives the price of Bitcoin up uh, that much more when yeah. you hear a, a, an utterance like that from a, a big bank CEO, doesn't it? I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's got to say that. And, you know, it's the same thing like we hear in politics and economics and banking and finance and, and corporate America. It's, Everybody pushes their narrative forward. And, you know, you can't blame him. I mean, he's, he's got a franchise to protect, and, and he's got to say that. So I, I take it for what it's worth. Uh, okay. Uh, jobs number November, uh, 199,000 jobs. Uh, unemployment right. rate ticks down to 3.7. Um, so, so what? What does that mean? Anything? No. Well, it, it means a lot. I mean, the fact is that, you know, the stock market has gone up, I don't know, what is it, 12% in November alone, yeah. you know, in the last yeah. two or five weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, and bond yields have gone from 5% to, you know, the 10-year Treasury is at 423 today. You know, the bond market's rallied 75 basis points, and nobody saw that coming, right? So I think what this tells you is that, Free market capitalism is under threat, and the narrative that we have behind it is um, a message that 
the government and Wall Street and big pharma and big corporations want you to hear, you know, rates are going to stay low and, and we're going to be OK because the government's going to protect you. And it drives me nuts. Well, so then um, what is your uh, assessment of the rally over the last month? I get the stock market rally. I really do. Um, I think that if you look at some of the articles that have been written in the last sort of three, four, five days, middle of last week, fiscal stimulus from the government is probably going to be another $500 billion between now and the election, right? And this is going toward um, tech, uh, infrastructure, mental health facilities, you name it. And they've got, you know, a few trillion dollars in their pockets to spend on whatever they want to do, their pet projects, to maintain power in the government. And I think that's reasonable. If I was if I was the head of the Democratic Party and I wanted to stay in power, I would do the same thing. So I think this whole idea of a soft landing is, is nonsense. The fact is GDP growth in this economy is probably going to be up in the fourth quarter 3%. It was up five uh, percent, you know, last quarter. And I think if I was in power, I would I would make sure that everybody's feeling like they've got a job and the economy's expanding. Okay. However, well, so, it wasn't, yeah. well, go ahead. Sorry. Go well, ahead. well, but I mean, but but under that theory, then the modern monetary theorists are right. Uh, look, uh, all all this uh, money that's being printed and pumped into the economy for John Podesta to distribute to. Uh, Chinese green energy companies and so forth. This is just great news for America. We saw robust growth in the third quarter. We'll have uh, above uh, standard growth uh, in the fourth quarter, potentially. And we just keep going. Inflation's down. At least the rate of increase is down. That's something that Biden doesn't understand. I know when he called on all the companies to all of America's companies to reduce its prices because inflation's only increasing at three in a 3.2 3.2 percent. But but regardless, who cares? I mean, it's just all central planning and all industrial policy. Stay the course and we'll continue to see this. The the Dow go through equities, go through the roof and um, and right. people feel better about uh, about their purchasing power and full on full employment and so forth. I mean, there's no no consequences sure. to profligate printing and spending, you're saying. Right. Everything's beautiful. You tell a lie and let everybody sort of hear, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, you know. It drives me nuts, and I'm really I'm, I'm I'm very upset about the markets right now because they should be doing, they should throw back on, on what's going on out here. I think that the, the the trouble with the narrative is that, and quite honestly, from a GDP standpoint, a growth standpoint, uh, as I've as we've talked about before, Dan, you know, averages hide more than they reveal, right? And the fact is that this is a big country, and it's a big economy, and it's a big machine, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. But the, but the reason unemployment is still low is because the government is spending as much money as they can to make sure that Bidenomics doesn't look like it's falling through a crater right now. And if you go around the country, and I've been traveling a lot in the last month or two, you know, every highway, every airport, every mental health facility, every wellness center, every school, there's construction everywhere. And I think the government is trying to do this to make everybody feel like there's something going on. The reality is that the economy is doing fine. There is no such thing as a soft landing. We're going to get 2% or 3% growth. 
and inflation is still going to be with us. And the fact that the market has decided to not think about it for the last six weeks um, angers me. Well, 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 but, but if, if, if everything if everything's going well, then why do seventy percent of people think uh, the country's on the wrong track? That's usually driven by their economic yeah. outlooks. Well, it's, it's because a, it's, of inflation. When, when is that going to go down? I mean, right. a box of cereal was four dollars. Now it's twelve dollars. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> right, Amy, you're right. Dan, you're right. I mean, you know, it, the economy is bifurcated. Seventy percent, seventy five percent of the households in this country are really struggling to to get a balanced budget they're in debt they've got car payments and lease payments and college payments and health care payments and that's bad the the problem is that the 10 percent or the five percent or the two percent of the people that own the assets in this country and they've got a lot of them you know i mean if you look at gdp is sort of whatever 29 billion right Uh, the stock market capitalization is 44 trillion bond markets worth the government bond markets worth 33 the the wealth in this country the private wealth in this country is 154.4 trillion dollars and these people most of them are over 60 years old they are spending their money they're going on cruises they're flying Air, airlines are full airports are full um, highways are crowded people are spending money but it's not Everybody, it's just the people that own assets. They are ahead of inflation. Everybody else is in big trouble. And I think that they really want the government to take care of them. It's just, it's, 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 it's very unique to me. And it's, it's uh, not economic, it's central planning. So, so, so what is your uh, prediction about consumer spend, since that's what's driving all this, as you say, and the government is driving that to a certain extent? So what, I mean... Uh, yeah, there's what there's one approach that just says we'll keep printing and distributing. Um, and the other approach is if you don't continue to do that, then consumer spending is going to crater at some point. Well, you know, everybody keeps saying that. And, and you know, your point is well taken, Dan, and I agree. But, you know, if you look at this sort of Thanksgiving spending thing, uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, you know, the spending that came through the system, whether it be real retail or online, there was 200 million purchases of stuff over Thanksgiving weekend, right? Yeah, Just but you also, but, but, but this is also against the backdrop of uh, consumer debt spiking. 100%. So, so, 100%. so as, as, uh, at some point, the consumer is going to face, we talked about credit crunch in the, in the commercial uh, sector over the last six months. At some point, there's going to be a, a, a credit crunch at the household level. Do we lose him? Logical end game, right? You know, we think that, but you know, I know a lot of economists and, and friends of mine. I talked to two of them yesterday, and these guys think there's going to be a giant recession. Two guys, very good friends of mine, very close people. I'm not going to mention their names now, but the fact is, they've been talking about a recession for three years, right? right. And we still haven't got one. So, so what's changed? What has changed in this economy right now? And what's changed is. The government doesn't seem to care about printing a trillion dollars, you know, a month, really, to keep things going. This is a short-term Kool-Aid acid test or something that says we are going to make sure we get reelected and we are going to keep spending money on everything that we want to spend money on, and we're going to maintain power. And I think that people have to wake up and recognize that the economy is becoming – 
I don't know, controlled by the government more so than ever before, including like today, right? So I don't know. That's my view. Jim Perry, founder, CIO, Perry International Capital Partners. Jim, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Dan, thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. See you. Thanks. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call in now. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yes, that means it's time for Open Mic Friday. It's that time of the week. 312-642-5600, turnkey.promanche line, taking your calls with comments, compliments, criticisms, concerns, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. Open Mic Friday is sponsored by turnkey.pro, answer mm-hmm. line. Uh, turnkey.pro, of course, on the turnkey.pro answer line is David Kolsak, the founder of turnkey.pro. David, thanks for joining us. Good morning. I I, um, I just wanted to say, going back to that business benefactor program, I started your station um, 12 years ago with the business benefactor program, and, and look what it's done for me. I mean, <laughs> no, that's um, a good point. I, I just want to say I, it's a great program. It's a great program, and I think it's a great way to get your feet wet if you want to advertise on a radio station that listens to people like you. And um, I think it's a really cool thing. The two things I would say: perseverance is a big uh, thing to do, and set your expectations properly. It's not like it's going to the phone's going to ring off the hook when you, you do it, but it's a good way to get your feet wet, and then maybe you'll make a campaign that works. So I encourage people to do that, if anything, just for the, the benefit to the people that it helps. So yeah, and your customer that. base grew by leaps and bounds, right? But it was a slow roll, and then it took off. Yeah, it starts slow, and you just got to you persevere. So I think it's great, and, and having great people like you on the radio is, and Dan, um, you know, it's great oh, to have you. Oh, thank you for so including He's me. the beauty yeah, of the you. world. Yeah, All right, right, if you want to become a business benefactor, call Ann Jeanette. The number is 847-472-8951, 847-472-8951. Okay, right, so to go back to last mind? week, I said a couple things, and then, you know, Dan, you said something like, you can't believe in nothing, you got to believe in something. You know, again, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't go back and listen to it, but I listened to it at the time. And it was something, not everything is a lie. You said something like that, right? Well, I, I just said, I, no, I actually, what I said, quoting Chesterton, was that um, people don't believe in nothing. What happens when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And my point was to say that people are going to believe in some things, so then it just becomes a question of, what do they believe in? What do they decide to trust? Because they are going to trust some things that they can't be 100% certain of. 100%. So again, I'll go back to Walter Cronkite back in the day when he's, everything that he said was gospel. He, you turned on the evening news. I know my parents did, and we trusted everything he said, every word. There was no way that Walter Cronkite could, would ever be distrusted. Right. But the problem is somewhere along the way, and again, I listened to your 6 o'clock hour, late in the 6 o'clock hour, um, you know, that where the, the media lost us. And, you know, big pharma is like, what, 70% of all television advertising now? You know, their influence over what's said on TV is unbelievable. Every other commercial, it's seemingly anyway for some kind of a pill for something. You've got type 2 diabetes, you know, don't lose weight, take a pill. If you've got high blood pressure, take right. a pill. Sniffles, take a pill. COVID, get vaccinated. Even if there's problems, you know, you can result in death. Bottom line is big pharma pays the bills, and the media can't stand up to the likes of Pfizer as their own. So... Now look at how they suppressed information about COVID, you know, push the death rate, scare the people, come out with a vaccine, push it. 
shame those people who resist and, and cast them out. Look what they did in election interference, mail-in ballots for weeks. That's normal. Don't look at these fringe players like Dinesh D'Souza and his movies. Nobody interfered in the election. You're crazy if you think so. And then look at what happened with Nicholas Sandman, Rittenhouse, and George Floyd. I mean, you were talking about George Floyd earlier today. Yeah. Sandman and Rittenhouse were cleared. George, George Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose, and yet he was buried in a gold casket in a funeral for a king. I mean, the story and he had was three funerals. Remember, nobody could have funerals back then, and right. he had three of them in three different oh, states. Oh, he had them. And no mask oh, and running a right. funeral home. I mean, I got to tell you how angry that made me. And we just we just threw our arms up and be like, well, I guess there's two sets of rules. Anyway, and then how about January 6th? That's a whole different ballgame today than when it was three years ago. The truth is coming out, and it looks like that was an inside job. You know, so it's been over 60 years since JFK was assassinated, and then we don't still have the documents, you know. I, again, uh, people are, are drawing a straight line between the government and the media, and they don't trust either. And it's the media's own fault. They overplayed their hand with COVID and a lot of things. And most people who felt duped with COVID started to question things. And then the media, you know, just, again, you, you put the culpability on them. You know, we could go topic after topic on this, and you'd see a pattern of report something, shift the narrative, backtrack, and then reverse the initial position. And again, you look at Tucker Carlson, he lost his job on Fox because he was skirting uncom uncomfortably close to the, you know, talking about big pharma and election interference. And he was fired by not towing the company line. Now he's got one of the largest megaphones on the Internet, and there's no one that's going to stop him, at least not, not right now. So the distrust in the mainstream media has led people to find those voices like you talk about, Dan, other places for information, citizen journalists, people who are just normal people posting things in real time on social media. You know, the liberation of X, the rise of true social, Telegram, Gab, Parler, Rumble, etc. You know, so go back to the point that you have to believe in something. I would say that people are starting to use their own discernment on what they believe and don't believe. The problem is that the media did this themselves and turning back, you know, trusting the likes of Lester Holt and Savannah Guthrie. I mean, yuck. Um, the, the major networks are being replaced with the likes of Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, Victor Davis Hanson, Richard Citizen Journalist. And even if you can prove a case for something that's ironclad, there's a certain amount of people who will never believe the truth, even if it hits them in the face. So, yeah, you've got to believe in something. And it's up to you as an individual to decide for yourself. It reminds me, again, and I'll wind up here, a great underdog stories. People are always looking for heroes. You know, look at when a big football game is won and the people take down the goalposts. You know, could this be representative of getting off their leashes to break down barriers? Imagine if someone told you that you're on a six-foot leash and you can't get beyond that distance. So you never go beyond six feet and you obey. But then one day you find out that there's never been a leash. And so we've all seen in nature the you know, the army of tiny ants carrying the big dragonfly off. When I look at society today, it looks like all of us ants are seeing that there's safety in numbers. So it just takes a little courage to go against the grain and question what we're being told and believe in something. So thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the call. David Kolsak, Turnkey.pro. Um... Just on that, uh, there was something that uh, Michael Schellenberger posted this week. I wanted people to to hear Michael Schellenberger, of course, the environmentalist turned journalist who's been instrumental in the Twitter files reporting. And now, along with Matt Taibbi, the cyber uh, uh, cyber threat Justice League deep state uh, collaboration between U.S. and U.K. actors to build out the censorship industrial complex. It's staggering stuff. And uh, we're just getting started with us, their reporting on the information they have obtained from whistleblowers. But uh, Schellenberger's commentary on what 
the powers that be, the so-called elites in the West, are attempting to do at present. And you saw this, frankly, on display with that COP28, you know, uh, eco-supremacist conference in Dubai this week. It sounds like a Black Mirror episode. The police can enter your home unannounced, search your phone and computers, and arrest you for the things that you're reading, watching, or posting online. If you refuse, you could be sentenced to 12 months in prison. But it's not a Black Mirror episode. It's worse than that. It's real life. At this very moment, the government of Ireland is trying to pass a law before Christmas that will let the police go into people's homes and confiscate their phones and computers. Now, you might think Ireland doesn't matter, that it could disappear tomorrow without much impact. But Ireland does matter. It's the test case for the next phase of the global crackdown by military and intelligence forces and their agents that's been happening over the last seven years. What they used to call a conspiracy theory has now been confirmed as true. Our research has exposed a far-reaching plan by military and intelligence agencies in the United States, Britain, and other nations to subvert the democratic process and engage in activities that have a basis in military techniques and which are tantamount to attempts at thought control. This isn't about censoring the far right. This is about censoring independent journalism. And if you're in Ireland, this is about censoring you. One understandable response to all this is to ignore it and hope it goes away or wish that it won't affect you. And maybe it won't, but our ancestors fought and died for the right to speak our truths, particularly about controversial cultural and political issues. And already we're fighting back and making progress. The Irish government was forced to back off this law once already, and we can make them back off again. Free thinkers in the United States and around the world must stand up now for Ireland. We have to fight the totalitarians over there so that we don't have to fight them over here. We need to send a message to the politicians and the police that the world stands with the people of Ireland and their first and fundamental right. Please share this message and consider donating to a special free speech fund at censorshipindustrialcomplex.org. If we don't act now... Well, and oh, by the way, we've got to fight them here, too, as we well know. We're, we've seen this with uh, college campuses, particularly those that those colleges that enjoy the most sort of status as the... Uh, repositories of the best and the brightest. Um, I mean, the Ireland standard, and this is the sentimentality that's taken hold among such a large percentage of the populations of the West. That the the standard for censoring somebody's speech in Ireland under the proposal that Schellenberg is referencing, if what you say makes someone uncomfortable, right? Then that's enough well, for them. Well, I mean. Oh, well, sure. Nobody wants to be anybody to be uncomfortable. And you want the government to enforce that arbitrary comfort level and decide uh, who is it that it's OK to make uncomfortable conservatives and who is it that is not it's not OK. And how open ended and there's zero limiting principle to a subjective standard like that. It's lunacy. I don't. Mind. And it's reality. Yeah, it is reality. All right, can I uh, get something off my chest? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so deconstruction began on that tent city, you know, Johnsonville, tent city, California, uh, yesterday. And they're taking the materials, whatever they can, that was not contaminated. And I don't know who's going to deem what's contaminated. Over to 115th and Halstead. So it was a $14 million-ish dollar mistake. And here's what Alderman Vasquez, my BFF, 
had to say about that. We're seeing an administration trying to do its best to solve a crisis that is unprecedented. Uh, that's going to lead to good and bad calls. <laughs> it's just a bad call, Dan. That's what it was. It's a bad call. And if you think, you know, Pritzker and Johnson are at odds with each other, Governor Pritzker addressed his relationship with Johnson. The fact is that we have uh, communication together. Uh, they're friendly communications. We sometimes recognize that we have a difference of opinion and we work it through. Yeah, right. Whatever. The sanitized bull jive that you get all the time. So 150th and Halstead, now we're going to see mm-hmm. if uh, the residents of Mosley's Ward do the same thing as the residents of, uh, of uh, uh, Brighton Park. And I, 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 but that's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough sell. I mean, I, I say again, I think that they have a real um, identitarian problem of their own making, of course, because they're all identitarians, which is that the um, the center of gravity in the black and white wards is pretty strongly against this. The only chance they really have is in the heavily Latino. Uh, even if not majority, the heavily Latino, like in Portage Park, heavily Latino community, uh, neighborhoods and, and wards. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. They don't have enough capacity, though, right. in just those wards for the numbers that they're dealing with. But they have to do something. So St. Bartholomew, they had a protest outside yesterday. You know, the same thing. It's just a different neighborhood. They don't want 350 families coming there. I think it's a crime against the people of the United States of America and it's time that we stand for what is right. Yeah, but that's but that but Portage Park they're going to get away with it because of the combination of the arch and 40% of that ward is Latino and I'm not saying that that means of uh, that community, that neighborhood. Um, I'm not saying that that means that all Latinos support this. Clearly that's not true. But um, but this is reflective of the representation the majority Latino neighborhoods and wards have chosen. Mm -hmm. People like your buddy Vasquez and Carlos Ramirez Rosa. The Latino caucus, if you will, in the city city hall outside of Ray Lopez are a bunch of Marxists. Right. So, I mean, again, you you, you play these one-off bites and some of these sidewalk press conferences and you're – you don't get too excited about what the political reality is on the ground in most of these wards. And also, too, yesterday, all these aldermen met at City Hall because they want to make sure that that are we do you want to continue to be a sanctuary city? They want to make sure that that's off the ballot. There's another yeah. push for that now. Yeah. Carmen and Crown Point, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. I just want to speak to the uh, Jamie Dimon saying that, you know, digital currency is going to promote, you know, more than clandestine uh, activities without government oversight. Yet J.P. Morgan Chase had to pay out $75 million to the victims from Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein for allowing him to carry on his services through J.P. Morgan for 15 years. That is rather ironic, isn't it, yep. Carmen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, again, being in bed with big government means never having to say you're sorry. Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. Hey, a couple of things real quick. And it's like the frustration level is through the roof nowadays, especially with the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden thing, because there's just reams of evidence that they sold out the country to the highest bidder. 
and I was watching Gutfield yesterday, and they had Katie McFarlane, and she said, basically, they're going to get away with it. They, they blatantly sold out the country, and they're going to live like kings for the rest of their life, and there's nothing anybody's going to do about it. I mean, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that the, the Hamas-Israel thing and the, of October 7th. And I have a friend, he's kind of he's liberal, and we were talking about that, and I'm like, I'm all for what Israel's doing. They should just clear they just got to clean out the whole mess. And he goes, well, there's, you know, the collateral damage of children and, you know, women. They're killing a lot of them. I go, yeah, and that's bad. However, go back 20 years ago, and the people that committed the atrocities October 7th, what were they? They were kids in Gaza, in school, being taught to hate the Jews. And I just let it sit there. And, of course, they don't like hearing that. But, I mean, it's bad that the kids are getting killed, but that's what these people were 20 years ago. Thanks for the call, Rick. Uh, let me th- throw something else into that's a little bit uh, into the larger discussion here. Yes. Uh, I got a couple of ones that I think are kind of fun. Uh, one is this uh, this woman who went viral when she took a plate of food and threw it in the face of a Chipotle worker in Ohio. Uh, her name is Rosemary Hain. Um, she was uh, arrested for assault, and uh, her case was just adjudicated. It's kind of fun. First of all, here's her defense for throwing a plate of hot food in someone's face. Yeah. Uh huh. Here's her defense. Okay, I want to hear this. You didn't get your burrito bowl the way you like, and this is how you respond. If I show you how my food looked and how my food looked a week later from that same restaurant, you would, you would, it was disgusting looking. She did it because she didn't like the way her burrito bowl was made. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, if you looked at, she said, if you looked at my food. And the during, you know, the day of the incident and then my food a week later, you could see how bad the food was a week before. Um, why'd you go back? Right. If it was so bad. So here's what uh, the judge in the case, Timothy Gilligan, offered Miss uh, Hain. Uh, you can do 90 days or you can do 30 and 60 do you want to walk in her shoes for two months and learn how people should treat people, or do you want to do your jail time? I'd like to walk in her shoes. So, well, so she's, she's going to work at Chipotle now? She's going to work 60 days at a fast food restaurant and then a 30-day 30 uh, day prison stint. Um, here's the judge explaining a sentence. So I thought, why should the city taxpayers pay for her and feed her for 90 days in jail? If I can teach her a sense of empathy. The old uh, walk a mile in uh, the shoes of that worker you threw food at. Oh, I love that. I kind of like that. Yeah, I like I, that, too. I haven't been back to Chipotle since some snot-nosed kid asked to see my uh, COVID vaccination card during that time. Remember when we had that vaccine mandate? I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah, I rec- yes, yeah, I recall you, that. Yes, it yeah. drove you out of right. the state because you had nowhere to go, nowhere to eat, nowhere to have fun. So, yeah, I've been, I have not been back there because I'm not going to tolerate that. Eduardo in Tampa Bay. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I saw this on the Tampa Times. Uh, uh, single units uh, per 100,000. Uh, Florida, 45. South Carolina, 56. And Illinois, 6. So some of us are moving on up. Wait, say wait. wait, wait. Oh, I, 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 did, did people get that? What was it? I, I, don't ask I, me. I'm blonde. 
I didn't really get um, the numbers. Did anybody get that? But I think the takeaway is that uh, real estate in places like uh, Florida and South Carolina is appreciating, and it's not the case in Illinois. If that was his point, then yes, that's true. Uh, Rich in Indian Head Park. Oh, hi, Rich. Rich? Uh-oh. Rich. Rich. Rich, are Hello? you in trouble? <laughs> you no, need I, help. Hello. Go ahead, Rich. Me? Yeah, go ahead, Rich. Yeah. We've been talking about uh, how we uh, how we handle uh, men and uh, women's sports for uh, you know for quite a while now. So here's what here's what I think they should do. Women should shock everybody because they already know that uh, the president's not on their side, and the uh, Congress is not on their side, and the schools and the colleges are not on their side. So what they should do is not show up for any sport that men are allowed to compete in. Even though they use the argument that's for their mental health and their self-esteem, they're still frauds for trying to compete in women's sports. Well, it's for their mental health. They join, uh, you know, co-ed sports or uh, mixed doubles in uh, tennis and in, uh, in volleyball. Yeah, I get but it. Boy, boy, boycott. Up. Yeah, thanks for the coverage. Boycott. I got it. Well, right. right. We, as we talked about earlier this week, Riley Gaines has uh, put uh, uh, prize money out there. Uh, she'll uh, pay the prize money of any woman who chooses not to compete in um, in a, a sport when a man is going to compete. This was after actually an Illinois cyclocross race where the first two finishers were men pretending to be women. Riley Gaines said, so I'll pay the prize money for people, for women that don't compete because uh, we need to stop participating and legitimizing this. So, yeah, Riley Gaines is on, on the same page as you. By the way, another story that we didn't get to, but I at least want to reference. An 11-year-old girl was assigned to share a bed with a male student who identifies as a trans girl while on a cross-country school trip. The girl's parents are now calling on the government school system to provide answers and clarification of its policies related to children who identify as trans. This happened in Jefferson County, Colorado. Uh, Your 11-year-old girl shares a bed with a boy on a cross-country school trip cross-country, you know, uh, yeah, school trip, you know, to compete, and uh, parents aren't notified. Issue with that? Hmm. And by the way, it's just... Did she have it, to... Um, did she do it? Yeah, they, they found out after the fact. What does the 11-year-old know? Just following She's orders. 11. Uh, also, I mean, it's... And, and this is going... This is going into everything now, too. Uh, it's not just sports, but also the arts. Teenage boy who identifies as a girl heading to the Irish Dancing World Championships after finishing in the girls uh, finishing first in the Southern Regional competition in Ireland. Wait, they're invading Irish dance? Yeah, that's you know, where I'm going to put my foot down. Well, you know, and it's and it, and the 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 guy Irish. is the guy is so novel because dance is dominated by women and the politics of you know as we were, as you heard from Schellenberg earlier the politics that's so. Uh, Marxist in Ireland. So, of course, the 14-year-old boy is going to the Irish Dancing World Championships. Yeah, okay. Well, when uh, when is it going to stop? I don't know. When is it going to stop? Ralph and Wilmette. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Um, 
I've heard everyone talking about the president of the university dancing around the idea that it's perfectly okay to protest for Palestinians to take over, you know, Israel, and that it's not violent or or bad for them to suggest uh, genocide. However, no one compares or contrasts that to the violence that you do someone when you get their pronouns wrong. Um, if you get something, if you miscall someone's sexuality, you're doing violence to them. Um, and that compared to the violence they're doing in these protests is just absurd. I thought that somebody could make, get some uh, headway from that. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Ralph. Uh, Bob in Buffalo Grove. Yeah, good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Let me go back to your Wednesday program when you had so much news, comments to offer. I wasn't able to get through, or and you changed the topic. But uh, you played the soundbite of uh, Dick Durbin, totally clueless on the Epstein case and the infamous Lolita Express. Is Durbin that ignorant? What no, no, he's lying. He's, he's, he's not lying? ignorant. He's lying. Well, yeah, I mean, we play. We protecting. Well, that well, that's the that's the question. Thanks for the call, Bob. He could Who be is protecting, protecting himself, or maybe somebody else in the Democratic Party, a higher up. There's a Senate. We we played the clip from yeah. Marsha Blackburn, a November 9th Senate Judiciary Committee meeting, where she asked for a subpoena to be issued for the Epstein flight logs, and then this week, uh, Durbin is cornered by Hillary Vaughn from Fox News. And he said, this is the first I've heard of any interest in the Epstein flight longs. Nobody's brought this to my attention. Oh, what a sack of lies. Yeah, well, he's a sack of Durbin. That's what he does. Sack of Durbin, sack of lies. With the sack of Durbin, you get the sack of lies. <laughs> uh, Jordan in Antioch. It's a con man. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'd like to go back to the Derek Chauvin case and from earlier this morning and um, – you know, Dan, I, I appreciate you being in a in a public forum where, you know, you were incorrect in that, and then you come forward and apologize and 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 issue that the mayor called. I I I really think that that's rare, and I want to appreciate and uh, thank you for that. And the other thing is, I want to thank you for uh, the program, the way you guys run your program. I used to be, you know, look at things from that from an emotional point of view, and I, now I've tried to look at things from a thirty thousand feet point of view, and. Going back to that, the whole time that that was going on, I knew that Chauvin was being set up. You look at the way the knee, you got to remember, right? Right from the get-go, he said he couldn't breathe. Then they tried to put him in a squad, and he said he was claustrophobic, he couldn't breathe. So that was why he was on the ground, so that he could breathe. I've been in that position where I've had an officer with his leg in that position. Um, I was not the one being arrested. You have to keep in mind that these guys show up to a call and they have no idea what's going on. And that was what the officer told me. I was jumped by three guys. Cops show up. There's four guys throwing hooks. Next thing I know, I'm laying on the ground. I'm yelling at them. I didn't do anything. And the officer said, look, we got witnesses, but we don't know what's going on. So just chill and let us figure this out. And then everybody can go home. That's what they were doing. He would not have been able to speak if there were a leg on, on his knee, on his neck. So, so that's, that's a load of crap. Um, the other thing about that is, you know, the comment was a, about the mother and the the, the, the bylaw or the rules or whatever and why weren't these police officers that had left why didn't they come forward and i think you have to look at that from a human standpoint those guys got away from that department and they were out they were free and i think in their minds probably the last thing that they wanted to do was come forward so that some journalist or some uh paralegal that worked for the mayor could go back through and dig up 15 years of cases that they were on to try to find an instance to hang them on. 
So I think that's probably why. That's not right. It's not if that's what they did, but it's it's just a human point of view, and I think that's that's probably what happened. They just want didn't want to be involved. Perhaps I don't have an explanation for yeah. the mother. Yeah, and I I get it, but well, look I mean, at it from their standpoint. Well, I, I I get it, but I mean, hopefully, thanks for the culture, and hopefully, I mean, that serves as a cautionary tale after you watch um, uh, the fall of Minneapolis. Say, boy, I tell you what, what happens if you don't stand up and say what you know to be true in the moment? Think how far things can go off the rail in ways that you couldn't imagine. So the the moral imperative to remember to be courageous in the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get why. But, boy, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of regrets if you don't. I guess is my point. Like a lot of those officers, you'll see interviewed if you watch the documentary. Clearly, feel. A lot of the officers pretty emotional about what happened. Uh, Tom in Blue Island. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, you referenced the movie uh, City Hall earlier, and okay. I just wanted to add to that. In that scene, the mobster who is the sophisticate, uh, you know, Danny Aiello, Aiello is kind of trying to waver his, you know, waffle his way out of having to kill himself and the mobster makes clear to him if he doesn't follow through with what they want him to do that it won't just be him it'll be his wife as well and right. the comparison i wanted to make to that is the hunter biden is just the start joe biden was the candidate of the steel in 2020 and he was the candidate of the steel because he's corrupt and his family's corrupt and Obama and Axelrod and everyone knows it. And maybe there's some things going on now where the Bidens aren't doing what they're supposed to. And I think this is an uh, indictment as a start of a, another cycle of you better do what we tell you to do or else there's going to be repercussions. Thanks for the call, Tom. We tried to close the door and we just couldn't get it closed, Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I to do it again. By the way, movie recommendation since uh, City Hall was brought up. Um, holiday movie recommendation for over the weekend. Oh boy! Don't tell me you're going to recommend a Hallmark film. Uh, no, I'm I'm not going to recommend okay. a Hallmark film because uh, I'm an adult. Uh, Paul Giamatti's new film, The Holdovers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. All right. Um, also, too, um, are you watching the reboot of Frasier? I am not. Well, um, get your get somebody to buy you a Paramount subscription so you can because you want to support Kelsey Grammer, who uh, in this uh, BBC interview communicated that he still supports Trump. Speaking of uh, courage in a wow. difficult environment like Hollywood, but at this point, what does Kelsey Grammer have to worry about? I got to ask you about politics before we finish. You mentioned Roseanne early on, <laughs> who. <laughs> had a great comeback, but also was a Trump supporter. You were, at least you were a Trump supporter. I'm fascinated to know if you, if you still are. I am, and uh, that's about, I'll let that be the end of it. <laughs> that was the end of it. Though I have to say, actually, Kelsey Grammer himself was perfectly happy to go on talking about it. The Paramount Plus PR people, less happy. That he talked about it at some length. They'll so be we... really thrilled that you mentioned <laughs> that. I'm <laughs> <there laughs> really thrilled. Anyway, they uh, they decided that uh, we'd had plenty of time for our interview. But I should stress that he was absolutely perfectly happy to talk about why he supports Donald Trump and still does. I love it.
Well, that's fine. I mean, yeah, the, you got all these junior flags losing their minds, and okay, fine. But uh, maybe we'll see Kelsey Grammer on the stump with uh, Trump. Oh, I'm sure. In 24. Hey, why don't you give me your Paramount login, and then I can watch it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll take that under advisement. Okay. Maybe if Christmas uh, so- comes early for the Jacobsons. <laughs> maybe if someone's good for the rest of the month, <laughs> find something in her stocking. Uh, Mary Kay in Western oh, Springs. Okay. Hello, guys. I'm going to do oh. my haiku that I wrote. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm on this. Okay. All right. Count the syllables. Right. I, I, yeah, I think I've got it. Okay. All right. Morning Radio Addict is the title. Dan, Amy, Mike, go. 5 a.m., the answer starts. Give me that every day. Is that right? 575, I think that's right. Think Very good, it. Mary You nailed Kay. it. Woo-hoo. All right. Woo-hoo. Very good. And I, right. like the, I like the use of gimme dad. Very give good. Me. Give me dad. We've got, we've got, got um, a lot of gimme dads. We've got poets. We've got uh, singers, songwriters. Mm. We've got a lot of talent out there. Uh Ken in Geneva. Hey, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you guys, and thanks for your show. Um, I just wanted to uh, share with you and your listeners that in Kane County, um, they continue to show the World Health Organization in the taxpayer buildings. World Health Organization is a subsidiary of the United Nations, has nothing to do with the USA, Illinois, or Kane County. And they accepted a $2 million grant that was by uh, organization from Zuckerberg and the corporations behind that are all left leaning that are trying to outsource the election rules and regionalize it using uh, areas so that they can control the rules that are going to be used for doing ballot counting and how elections are run. So I would encourage people um, not just to look at what's going on in D.C. and what's going on in Minneapolis. Those areas have been destroyed. But uh, uh, take a stand in Kane County, ask that they remove all World Health Organization logos and propaganda, and to uh, return the $2 million grant that's used to influence our vote and how the voting rules are created, because what they're trying to do is first regionalize and then, of course, centralize. That's the, the MO of the party. And- Thanks for the call, Ken. Appreciate it. Uh, close it out with Chuck and Delavan. Hey, big shout out to one of your uh, listeners, Barry Moshaw. I bumped into him at DJ's in a drink. He attends all your events. Thanks to the turnkey guy for mentioning my garage band. Shame those people who resist. I am no longer at the bottle shop. I will be across the street at Magpies tonight. I'm at a big event at Magpies tonight. Uh, big toy drive. Bring some toys for the children. 7 p.m. it starts. And then Atomic Antiques in downtown Madison, Wisconsin, Sunday, all day. Merry Christmas. See you around the place. All Thanks, right. Santa Chuck. Thank you. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.